and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Good morning, Arizona. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead on KTAR. The Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell told a Senate panel on Tuesday that the Federal Reserve could increase the size of its interest rates hikes and raise borrowing costs to higher levels than previously projected if evidence continues to point to a robust economy and persistently high inflation. So the inflation is far lower than it was a year ago, but it's still high. And the Federal Reserve's response to that is to continuously raise interest rates. What happens when they raise interest rates? Well, the cost of borrowing goes up, home sales go down, and credit card sales theoretically uh, go down because uh, people don't want to pay the high, high interest on those credit cards. Uh, the cost of borrowing money for startup businesses and for existing businesses goes through the roof. And so theoretically, uh, business uh, success and growth starts shrinking. And uh, essentially, what they are doing by raising the interest rates is killing jobs. And uh, Powell got a pretty icy reception in the Senate Banking Committee. Um, I know it's not necessarily talking about the interest rate, or excuse me, the interest rates, but the inflation. This is what our own Senator Kirsten Sinema had to say on the Banking Committee just recently. At home, Arizona families are struggling to navigate this economy. Higher prices are making it more difficult to afford groceries, gas, rent, and airfare. But on the other hand, rising interest rates are crowding out investment and making it more difficult for first-time homebuyers to buy a home. Inflation has also slowed housing development to a halt in Arizona. And as you know, Chairman, housing is a major economic contributor in my state. It's also clear that more spending comes with trade-offs. And it's why tackling inflation has historically been so difficult. And yet it's more important than ever that we get it under control. So obviously, we all agree that we want to get inflation under control. But sometimes uh, you've you've, you've heard the phrase that the medicines, uh, the cure is actually worse than the ailment. Uh, And I think some are scratching their heads and wondering, especially as we see uh, what our once uh, 401k has turned into a 201k. uh, And the the folks that uh, wanted to be able to buy a home are now realizing uh, that they can't. In fact, I had a realtor explain this to me recently that especially on startup homes, when you increase the interest rate from what it was, uh, you know, a a little over a year ago, uh, right around 2% to uh, right around 7% what it is today, the payment for that 30-year mortgage on that starter home is roughly double what it would have been if the interest rate was back where it was over a year ago. So, A lot of people that would love to buy homes aren't buying homes because they can't afford uh, paying roughly double what they would have a year ago. And so it's really killed, uh, maybe killed is too strong of a word, but it's it's, uh, uh, really put some uh, barriers around our housing market here in Arizona. And homes aren't selling near as quickly as they were. Because of that, uh, the values of homes uh, have steadily come down. Uh, And uh, the answer, in my view, is not 
to raise interest rates? The answer is for Washington, D.C. to get a handle on the out-of-control spending because anybody who's ever taken an Econ 101 class understands that when you borrow money by printing it, by printing money that we don't have to pay off your debts, which is essentially what the Federal Reserve, which it calls quantitative easing, has been doing for years and years and years, uh, that by doing that, we, we deal with hyperinflation. There is a direct correlation between the amount of money that Washington, D.C. is spending. And I'd love to just blame one side, but one side cannot take all the blame. Republican presidents, uh, Democrat presidents have been increasing the federal debt steadily since the year 2000. As I mentioned, when I was in the Congress in uh, the 90s, we actually balanced the budget three years in a row, the first time it had been done in 40 years under uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, He came along kicking and screaming with a Republican Congress, but ultimately he came to the party and uh, we passed some austere budgets and we got spending under control and uh, we, we balanced the budget for the first time in 40 years. Fast forward to today. Multi-trillion dollar uh, deficits, uh, as far as the eye can see. And uh, spending is something that nobody wants to curtail. And President Biden is releasing uh, his budget as we speak. And I can, in two words, summarize what the budget is. Tax and spend. Those are not the solutions. So when Powell went before a Senate banking committee, uh, Senate... Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren had this to say. She said that the Fed officials have projected that the unemployment rate will reach 4.6% by the end of the year, up from 3.4%. Historically, when the jobless rate has risen at least one percentage point, a recession has followed. This was her question to Powell. If you could speak directly to the 2 million hardworking people who have decent jobs today, who you're planning to get fired over the next year, what would you say to them? Warren asked. We actually don't think that we need to see a sharper and enormous increase in unemployment to get inflation under control, Powell responded. But he dodged the question. The fact is, he's trying to put people out of work by raising the interest rates. Then on the fiscal side, to his credit, uh, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana said, um, the fewer people you're going to have to put out of work, the more we help on the fiscal side. And he's right. The fact is, it takes two to tango. We need both parties to get serious about out-of-control spending. There's never been more revenues coming into the federal treasury than there are today. The fact is, we have out-of-control spending. That's why the inflation rate is runaway. They're trying to blame it on other things like COVID, like uh, supply chain issues, uh, the the, uh, uh, war in Ukraine. And I'm sure those things all have something to do with it. But the number one thing that is as plain as the nose on your face is Washington It continues to mortgage our children and our ja- grandchildren's future away by spending today on things on, on things that some would uh, debate aren't necessary at the federal level and that we need to get our fiscal house in order. Look, folks, I, I, I believe that this inflation, as Senator Sinema said, is, is it, it's out of control. It's hurting a lot of people. But the fact that a million people are going to be out of work because of policies put forward by the Federal Reserve in raising interest rates, 
I'm not sure that's a great solution. And I think that we, the American people, have to stand up at some point in time and demand of both parties. Maybe that's why another party has registered uh, uh, to get involved here in Arizona, the No Labels Party, because neither the Republican Party or the Democrat Party is successfully addressing the single most important issue that's swallowing this country up right now, runaway spending, spending what we don't have, printing more money. We have got to get our financial house in order. It is taking its toll on us in this country. So next up, the CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference, is dwindling in support and attendance. And we're going to talk about why that's happening next on KTAR. Matt Salmon for Mike Broomhead. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hi, this is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead on KTAR. Mike will be in tomorrow, so you get the real deal. Today, you're stuck with me. But uh, anyway, um, Governor Chris Christie, former Governor Chris Christie, uh, was the governor of New Jersey uh, back in 2016. He was one of the first very high-profile Republican leaders that came out to endorse Donald Trump. And all during uh, Donald Trump's presidency, uh, Chris Christie was one of his strongest defenders and strongest voices in support of Trump. But uh, the former New New Jersey governor took a shot at his ex-pal Donald Trump by hitting him at one of his known sore spots, crowd size. So... He said this, you saw the scenes at CPAC, and remember, CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference, uh, this week on uh, Sun- ABC's This Week on Sunday, referring to the convention where the former president spoke on Saturday. Christie said the room was half full. A lot of pundits uh, have speculated as to why uh, there is a diminished uh, uh, amount of people, uh, conservatives, actually coming to CPAC. Uh, In fact, uh, two notable absences from CPAC uh, who are also rumored to be potential uh, presidential contenders uh, in the next election. Uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, the wonderkind uh, from uh, Florida. Uh, arguably, uh, some have said the best governor in the whole country uh, and uh, somebody who actually poses a serious threat uh, to Donald Trump's uh, presidential aspirations did not show up. In fact, uh, he didn't show up. And then Tim Scott, uh, who is a senator from South Carolina and a very articulate voice. Actually, I know Tim very, very well. He's a he's a bright spot uh, in GOP circles and somebody that. That uh, really has a strong and wonderful message. Uh, he's a black American uh, U.S. senator that uh, is makes no bones about the fact that he is rock solid conservative and uh, believes that America should be a place where people have equal opportunity and not equal stuff. Uh, and he was notably absent. And uh, uh, Christie noted that Trump's CPAC speech was moderately attended, with ABC reporting that the back of the room was almost completely empty. 
that's not the way it's been for CPAC uh, over the last uh, uh, couple of decades. I uh, served in Congress during the 90s, and I served in Congress uh, from uh, 2013 to 2017. CPAC was one of those places where conservative uh, voices always wanted to be. It was it was like uh, uh, being in Hollywood, not not going to the Oscars. Uh, that's uh, it, it, it's just something that uh, you got to be you got to attend. But in later years, CPAC has really dwindled uh, in its support and its political clout uh, in so much that, as uh, Chris Christie mentioned and ABC uh, noted, uh, when Trump uh, spoke, the room was half full. And uh, I guarantee you, uh, even five, six years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. People would have been clamoring uh, to ascend CPAC. So, So what's going on? Why is uh, CPAC losing uh, credibility? Uh, why is it uh, losing its uh, political clout and influence? And I think at least part of it uh, can be uh, uh, ascribed to the uh, fact that there's a man named Carlton Huffman. His name just came out uh, just in the last couple of days in the Washington Post. He has uh, filed a $9.4 million lawsuit for alleged sexual battery and defamation against the guy that is the uh, head of CPAC. His name is Matt Schlapp. He is the influential influential leader of the Conservative Political Action Conference. And this uh, sexual misconduct came forward publicly Wednesday after a judge said he must use his real name to proceed with a lawsuit. He wanted to... Uh, file the lawsuit and, and uh, deal with am- anonymity. And I think the judge, rightly so. Uh, everybody has a right to face their accuser and to know, uh, and, and the public should know exactly what's going on. But the fact that uh, uh, this uh, gentleman, Carlton Huffman, didn't back off in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he is 39 years old. He's a longtime aide to Republican campaigns, lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, he has uh, come forward and said that uh, that uh, uh, Matt Schlapp uh, made inappropriate sexual advances uh, toward him and placed his hands on parts of his body that he should not have. And so uh, uh, I think that those things, coupled with uh, the idea that it seems like uh, CPAC has just become kind of a cheering section for the former president and not really uh, an unbiased uh, conservative group uh, that just wants to put forth conservative ideas, those two things coupled together have uh, caused a severe uh, diminishment of influence uh, for CPAC. And it makes me really sorry and sad to see uh, this happening. So next up, uh, I'm going to be bringing on to the show a a person that I just have unbridled uh, uh, respect for. Uh, He's a former uh, pilot in the military, uh, best-selling author of uh, books, and uh, a guy that's on the House Intelligence Committee. And I'm going to talk to him about the threat of China and what we at the in the United States uh, should do about it. So stick with us here on KTAR. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Good morning. This is Matt Salmon in for the Mike Broomhead Show here on KTAR. 
There are 435 members of the U.S. House. And one of my absolute favorites, members of the U.S. House, is on the line with me right now. He's uh, the congressman from Utah's 2nd Congressional District. His name is Chris Stewart. He's one of 10 children and grew up on a dairy farm. And he graduated from Utah State University, where he earned his degree in economics. And upon graduation, he joined the United States Air Force, where he was a distinguished graduate, top of his class. And uh, then he served 14 years as a pilot in the Air Force, flying both rescue helicopters and the B-1B bomber. He holds three world speed records, including the world's record for the fastest nonstop flight around the world. He's written numerous books, and actually, I have to admit, I'm a big fan of his literary endeavors. I've read multiple Chris Stewart books, and I'm always uh, finishing the book wondering, when can I get the next one? Because I think he's, uh, he's got such a great way of portraying uh, things in our life that matter, and uh, I, I just love the guy. Chris, welcome to the program. Wow, Matt, thank you so much. That's a kindness introduction. And we miss working with you here in Congress. You, you're such a powerful voice that, again, we, I wish you were still here with us. Well, Chris, I, I really appreciate you. And, and Chris uh, has the, uh, the honor of serving on the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, the House Intelligence Committee, as you know, is uh, uh, the committee that uh, uh, basically uh, – is responsible for making sure that our country is secure uh, by good policies uh, through the U.S. Congress. And, uh, Chris, I know a lot of us are concerned. I, I serve my mission uh, for the LDS Church in Taiwan. I speak Mandarin Chinese. I've been over there. But i got to tell you, uh, I am so concerned about what China's been up to. Uh, there, there are uh, allegations uh, from our own FBI and Department of Energy uh, that uh, the uh, COVID uh, uh, virus was actually leaked out of a lab in Wuhan, China. Uh, allegations uh, about the spy balloon. Uh, allegations uh, recently from Joni Ernst uh, that uh, they're intentionally poisoning our country uh, with uh, fentanyl. Uh, and on and on and on. And you and I both know the threat that they pose to Taiwan. Tell me something, Chris. What 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 can be done about it? Uh, I, and I'll ask some more specific questions. But can you kind of give us an outline of your concerns of uh, r- right now what's going on with China? Well, Matt, when you say and on and on and on, you're exactly right. Everything that you've mentioned and then more. Uh, I was in the Pacific recently and a member of the China Task Force. It's been you know such an important part of the work that I've been doing for the last five or six years. Uh, but, but here's the reality. China is preparing for war in the Sea of Japan. They are preparing, actively preparing for an invasion of Taiwan. And I'm not saying that they're going to do it this weekend, but I think there is a consensus that it's almost inevitable. Uh, Again, being being with the military leaders, as I have the opportunity to do here, they see the sense of urgency. They see what China's doing. They see the the actions they're taking, everything from creating islands in in that area and then weaponizing those islands, obviously, you know, allowing assets, air assets and others, uh, to everything to the intimidation of Taiwan and and anyone who supports Taiwan. So 
Um, but but that's not the only problem we have. Like you said again, Matt, the, the fact is is that the, the, uh, anyone who doesn't, I think, realize the likelihood that the COVID vaccine uh, virus emanated from the lab. I mean, the, the common sense and the evidence is just very, very clear on this now. And then finally, the last thing I'll mention that we have to deal with, and that is the fact that they're malicious business partners. And thankfully, I think, you know, our, our, our business leaders are finally realizing that they're not trusted partners. They'll steal their IP. They'll steal their information. They'll work against them. Um, and there's been a sea change, I think, in the business community of recognizing that. But uh, I, I hope we can avoid it. I think we can deter it. But we have to absolutely be prepared for a worst-case scenario there that may only be a few years away. So, so Chris, I, I know that, that when it comes to the Taiwan issue, the Chinese government has been very, very clear. Uh, they view them as a renegade province, and they'll do anything uh, to bring them back into the fold. Um, what should we be doing as a country to make sure that if that does happen, that uh, Taiwan is not destroyed or, or taken over yeah. by China? Well, and that that is the key now. That is the you know the crux of the matter. I, we, I just stepped out of a hearing with uh, all of the directors of the CIA, FBI, NSA, etc., and and that was one of the focus of my questions to them. Is we've had this policy, you know, for, essentially for a year of my lifetime, Matt. The strategic ambiguity regarding Taiwan. We never said whether we would defend them or not. Right. That was probably appropriate through the eighties and nineties, maybe even the early two thousands. But I think that we need to add clarity to that, because if you want to deter China, China has to know whether we will respond or not. Because if our policy is that we won't, then very clearly that deterrence is destroyed. But if our policy is that we will engage and defend Taiwan, then I think we should state that clearly. And then the second element to that kind of implied in your question is, is Taiwan themselves preparing? Are we helping Taiwan to prepare. And, and some of those efforts are, are very obvious, and some of them are a little more subtle. Uh, and, and they're proceeding, but they're not proceeding, in my opinion, in the pace that they should. Uh, this isn't a problem we're going to have to encounter 15 years from now. It's something that's much more imminent. And I think we do need to add urgency to that actual military preparation of our efforts to defend our assets and our interest in that region. You know, Chris, I couldn't agree with you more. We're, we're, I wish we had so much more time. We're, we're, we're out of time. But I agree with you. This policy that we've employed for decades of strategic ambiguity is nonsense, and we have to replace it with strategic clarity. And the only way it, that we can convince China we're not a paper tiger is to let them know in no uncertain terms, you cross certain lines, we will be forced to do X, Y, and Z, and we need to be clear. Uh, Chris, as always, uh, you're a bright spot uh, in our nation's capital. I appreciate you coming on. I hope uh, you serve there for a long, long time because we need you, brother. Thank you, sir. And then invite me back. I'd love to come back again. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you. And I hope that you'll stick with me for our next segment. We're facing a serious teacher shortage in this state. And one school district in Arizona's response to that is to bring on less teachers. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Stay with me. We'll talk about it on the Mike Broomhead Show. This is Matt Salmon, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Good morning, Arizona listeners. This is Matt Salmon on KTAR Info Make Mike Broomhead, who will be back tomorrow, uh, giving you nothing but the truth. So help him. God? Um, hey, uh, let me ask you a question out there. So if a student attends a Christian university or graduates from a Christian university, does it go without saying, is it just a given that they pose a threat to the LGBTQ community? Let me pose the question another way. If there was a person applying to go to a Christian university who happened to be LGBTQ and they rejected him, saying him or her, excuse me, uh, saying that that person uh, could be a threat to our university. Would you think that was okay? Well, the reason I'm asking that question is because there is a Arizona school board member uh, from the Washington Elementary School Board. Her name is Tamilia Valenzuela. She led the charge with the school board to... Put a policy in place that the school district, which has for 11 years been working with the Arizona Christian University to get teachers and teachers assistants uh, and have supplied teachers to that school district is saying no more since uh, they are a Christian school. They pose a threat to the security uh, or the perceived safety uh, or safe space, whatever you want to call it, for our LGBT community, and so we're not bringing them anymore. Well, I mentioned that other question, if if the shoe were on the other foot, and a Christian school or university or employer, you name it, said, I'm not going to allow anybody who is LGBT. LGBTQ, excuse me, to apply for a job or or come and work at our organization because they could pose a threat to our personnel. Everybody would be up in arms. Everybody would be up in arms. That is not something that would be acceptable, and people would be screaming at the top of their lungs. Well, why aren't people screaming at the top of their lungs about the reverse of that? The fact is, judging somebody based on where they went to school or what organization they belong to or their religious persuasion that they actually pose a threat means so much to this uh, Tamilia Valenzuela who spearheaded this uh, uh, new policy of not allowing uh, people from the Arizona Christian University to become teachers assistants or teachers or interns uh, at their school district anymore uh, makes about as much sense as a, a screen doors on a submarine. It just is stupid policy. Here we are in Arizona with a serious teacher shortage and we need teachers from all quadrants and people should be judged on their actions, not on what church they belong to, not on what university university they attended. People are individuals. That's one of the things that's kind of at the heart right now of uh, uh, what we stand for in this country. And that is, like Martin Luther King said, I dream of a day when my four little children will be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. He could have just as easily said, I dream of a day when these students at Arizona Christian University will be judged by 
what they believe in their hearts by the contents of their character and not uh, the school that they went to. Uh, the fact is, uh, we have a serious teacher shortage in this state, and it should be all hands on deck. We should be doing everything within our power to make it easier to be a teacher in Arizona and to make sure that being a teacher is a positive thing. A lot of teachers are leaving the profession. Why are they leaving the profession? I think there's a whole myriad of reasons, but chief among them is uh, pay. Uh, teachers, uh, uh, nobody can get by uh, as an individual on a teacher's salary, especially when you, if you listen to one of our earlier segments on interest rates uh, continuing to go up. Uh, you know, you're not able to buy a home. Uh, rent continues to go up uh, in this state. Food, you know, inflation's out of control. And so, obviously, teacher pay is one of them. And I always have said before, and I think it's stupid, that we're willing to pay somebody in our society millions of dollars to throw a ball or run around bases or slip on basketball floors. But we're not willing uh, to pay uh, what it really, what teachers really deserve. And Another uh, frustration of mine is that you got a, a, a legislator, a good legislator, Matt Gress, comes up with an idea to increase teacher pay by $10,000, which is badly needed. And the Democrats in the committee, all but one of them, vote against it on partisan lines. And the teachers union itself is lobbying against increasing teacher pay with Matt Gress's bill. Go figure. It's nonsense. But teachers are also frustrated, I know, by the lack of discipline in the classroom and the ability to be able to keep order in their classroom. They're frustrated by the politics of the day and having to uh, teach kids uh, political things uh, and, and try to indoctrinate them instead of teaching them uh, courses that actually will help them uh, get good jobs in their life. Folks, We've got to have common sense prevail. Both sides of the aisle have got to come together for the benefit of teachers and parents, and more importantly than any of them, the kids. This is Matt Salmon for KTAR, and I hope you'll stay with us. Next up, we're going to have a man named Christopher Baldy. Christopher was an economics professor. He is an American who was an economics professor at Beijing University in China for 12 years. And we're going to talk to him about what's going on in China and should we be concerned. So stick with us. I'm Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead, KTAR.